Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. If you've ever been to a sports game, then I'm sure you've seen some very passionate fans. They'll have signs, wear jerseys, and even paint their faces or bodies to let you know who they're rooting for. They do all this just for a game. As a Christian, how passionate are you for Jesus? Today, Pastor Jim teaches that your life needs to reflect your beliefs. If you believe the Bible is God's Word, how does that affect how you live? If you believe that Jesus is coming back, how does that influence the choices you make? Well, let's join Pastor Jim in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4 as he continues his message, Faithful to the End. He who was once a persecutor of the faith, he who was once responsible for the death of Christians. You think you've done bad things. What does God do? He takes the worst of the worst and takes them and makes them into the best of the best. He didn't fall away. He remained faithful to the end. You see, all these guys had to do, it's one of the reasons we know the Bible is true and the apostles were true. All they had to say was, you're right, he wasn't God. He didn't rise from the dead. You're right. But none of them would say that. None of them. And after telling us we all have to a fight to endure, a race to run, and a faith to guard, he tells us something is waiting. In verse 8, he says, what's waiting for you, what's waiting for me if we are faithful? A crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give to his faithful people who love him. In their day, this crown was given to a victorious athlete, and the Apostle Paul looks forward to receiving it in glory. Now, a logical question that some people ask is, is it a reward for faith in Jesus or a righteous life? I believe the answer is both. However, without what we call the imputed righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to you, for those of you that are newer to the faith or, or need a reminder, it goes like this. Here is you. You are a sinner. You are unrighteous. Here is Jesus on the cross. He is perfect. He is righteous. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, your sin is taken and laid upon Jesus figuratively. God counts your sin against Jesus. And also, just as importantly, that he takes the righteousness of Jesus and he puts it into your account. And so it doesn't matter if you're a good person. It doesn't matter how good you live your life. If you don't have the righteousness of Jesus, you will not appear before God in perfection. And so that is imputed righteousness. Without the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ through his work, what is his work? His life, his death, his resurrection. And that then is imputed to you or given to you with the response of faith and trust. You don't do anything. You just respond to it. Jesus said, repent and believe the good news. Repent, turn to God, put your trust in me and believe the good news and that is how one gets to heaven. Without that righteousness, it is impossible. In other words, after we come to faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called as followers of Jesus to a life of faithfulness to Christ. 
Some of you have been told, your friends have been told, that some guy got up on a, on a stage and said to them, you can know today, come to Christ today, right down to the frontier, and if you say this prayer after me, you, you can know you're going to heaven. Not true. Maybe. Because you have to be what? Born again. And what is the guarantee that it, just because you said a prayer that you have been born again? None. Most people come forward because they want a better life. They want things to be better. And then they go out and they live their own way and they go, well, some guy told me I could live that way. Jesus said what? By their fruit, you will know them. And so people meet me at the door. They say, hey, I prayed to receive Jesus today. Does that mean I'm going to heaven? Does that mean I'm a Christian? I'm a new creation? I go, well, we'll see. We'll wait to see the results of the new birth. And so we are given this righteousness. That would encourage all this, this crown of righteousness, that would encourage Timothy as he also was no apostle Paul. We know we came across, and as we've studied these two letters, he was timid. He just was not as bold as the apostle Paul, but he had put his faith and trust in Jesus. He lived for the Lord. He was running his race, and he longed for the appearing, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so the crown of righteousness would be his. In facing death, the Apostle Paul is demonstrating his confidence in the Lord's promises for the future and trusting in the grace of God. And he says, it's all coming on that day. You say, what's that day? That's the day of punishment and the day of rewards. A day that Jesus talked about more than a dozen times in the Gospels. The Apostle Paul wrote these words, Galatians 5, 5, For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Hope is, means in the Bible what? Certainty of righteousness. How do we get it? By faith, through trusting in Jesus Christ. It's interesting that when he says it here, we, for, for we, we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. You're like, wait a minute. I put my trust in Jesus. You said we get the righteousness of Jesus. We do. But he seems to be looking forward to a day of what we might call complete righteousness. When everything is brought to completion and given to him. Here, we get the righteousness of Christ but we are still flawed human beings. We're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. But there will be a day when our righteousness will be completed and the presence of sin will no longer dwell in us. Won't that be a wonderful day? This is important for all who think, and there could be the majority of people who call themselves Christians, that it doesn't matter how you live as long as you call yourself a Christian. Some of them will hear from Jesus, I never knew you. They'll be like, hey, I was in church. Did all kinds of good stuff. And Jesus is going to go, I, I'm sorry. Peers here, but the Apostle Paul has said to the Galatians that there's more to come in our salvation when we meet the Lord after sin and death has been defeated in our lives. Our struggle against sin shows us the need for the power of the word of God and the Holy Spirit. And that the more we walk with Jesus, 
We are with Jesus and we, we try to be like Jesus. The more we get our face into the word of God and the Holy Spirit works in us, we will experience some growth and some victory. But there's more to come. So what characterizes these people? He tells us all who have loved his appearing. People who love the fact that Jesus has come. People who love the fact that Jesus will come again. People living passionately for Jesus. So it's an important question to ask yourself. Do I, do you, do we live passionately for Jesus? Or are we just kind of going through the motions? We're singing the words on the screen. Do we really believe it? Do we really believe it? We read our Bibles. Do we really believe it? God deals us a deck of cards, a deck of hand, uh, you know, Dex deals out the cards, and we don't like the hand we've been dealt. Do we still love him? Will we still follow him? Or will we say, you know what? Uh, this, is not, this is not what I had in mind. I don't like this race. We think the Apostle Paul, it was easy. Listen to what I just said. Arrested, beaten, whipped, shipwrecked, snake bitten. Demons coming after him. And now he's about to have his head severed from his body. Does that sound like an easy life to you? And what did he say in 2 Corinthians? His biggest worry of all? He was worried about the churches. Worried about the churches. We are worried about the most stupid things in life, aren't we? And he says, I'm worried about the churches that the people are not strong enough for the battle that awaits them. Persistent enthusiasm for the things of God. I want that to define my life. I want to preach with passion. I want to tell people the truth. I'm, I'm fine with people coming in here who, who do not believe in God. And they meet me on the way out. And they go, I don't believe in God. I go, okay, great. I go, then they go, but you do. <laughs> I go, I do. I do. Not forgetting about the second coming, but looking forward to it. People are asking these days now, Israel just recently invaded. Are these the last times? Well, let's get, let's get that right out on the table. Yes, these are the last times. These are the last days. The last days are the time between the first coming and the second coming. These are the last days. Are these the very last days? I have no idea. If you think they are, get out there and get talking, okay? And start telling people. But I think that God has planted in every generation of Christians to think that they are living in the last times. You read throughout history and so many people seem to think that they were at the end. God wants us to be ready for him to return. And that mindset will transform your entire Christian life. If you think that God could come, Jesus could return, or God himself could come for you, loosen your ship from the dock at any moment. And it's how endurance and perseverance and faithfulness make sense. And notice, some degree of reward is for all followers of Jesus Watch the Apostle Paul's life. Follow his example and be assured 
of your reward. Thus explains his words in 1 Corinthians 11.1. One. He says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Some versions say, he says, follow my example as I follow Christ's example. And you got to think, how arrogant to write that. But you watch his life? You watch what's going on here in this passage. And there's a lot of parallels. Now, when we come to verse 9, you might say the letter is ended, but now we come to the final words of the Apostle Paul, and they become intensely personal. He says, verse 9 to Timothy, be diligent to come to me quickly. Another version says, make every effort to come to me soon. Verse 10, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved, or since he loved, this present world and has departed or deserted me for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books or the scrolls, especially the parchments. Can you believe it? The dude's in prison. He knows he's going to die. And what does he say? Bring the books, man. Bring my scriptures. I need more to read. I need more to study. This guy's a Bible writer, for goodness sake. He's like, I want to I wanna, I wanna read my Old Testament. Bring my Old Testament with me. And that's like, not like what we carried around, like, you know, or on our, on our phone or something like that. That's a lot to carry. Bring my Old Testament. Maybe I'll see more of Jesus than I've already seen in there. Now, the Apostle Paul seems to think he has more time. The Roman government was well known for moving slowly. Imagine that, government moving slowly. But the Lord has told the apostle, you're not going to get out of this one. So he tells Timothy, come to me quickly. Now, a few months in their world is five minutes in our world. Come to me quickly. The Apostle Paul is probably sitting in a cold, dark dungeon in Rome, and his humanity begins to show. He's lonely. He wants to see his son in the faith one more time before he sets sail. But even in that, his focus is on Christ and Christian relationships. He shines as such an example to us. You know, if you've ever loved and served closely with someone in gospel ministry, those words Demas has left for the world really hits home. They leave your life physically. They don't, they don't hang out with you anymore. They're not serving the Lord with you anymore. And they leave the Lord spiritually. He's not looking forward to, a, to the second coming of Christ. And we're not told really what he did, but, but he's painted in a negative light, whereas the other people are not. Perhaps he was what we often see. He was a Christian of convenience, choosing his will over God's will. Our world desires comfort and ease, doesn't it? And somehow, having your best friend and mentor in a, in a dungeon 
doesn't seem like it's going to be easy for you. But to accept the ways of the world is to reject the way of the cross. There's also a very, very serious warning here that even serving with a spiritual giant like the Apostle Paul does not remove the dangers and temptations this world from any of us. Even people who walked with Jesus eventually heard him teaching, and so many of them said, this is a hard teaching. And they followed him no longer. It appears that Demas was an unfaithful deserter. His wrong love of the world led to a wrong life. And there's a touch of sadness in people like this. Perhaps he was not really ever a brother in the Lord. Remember what John told us in 1 John. They went out from us because they never were one of us. Even those who think they're going to heaven because their grandmother prayed the rosary every day are deceived. But there's another warning here, I think, as well. Don't look down on Demas. Realize that the weakness that is within him is probably hidden in each and every one of us. And if we're not careful, if we allow life to just get the better of us, if we're not tight with God, it will get the better of us. The end of verse 10, he says, others left. He, he, just, he doesn't say anything about them. He says, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. It probably uh, dispatched for ministry. We know nothing about Crescens. We do know that, that Titus was the guy that seems to be the guy that they sent to tough places. You always got to have a guy like that. Oh, it's a tough place? We'll send him. Do you know there, there was word around our movement of churches that Morris County was a tough place? A few guys came up here already. They left. So they found a chump to come up. <laughs> and yeah, it's tough sometimes, but it's all right. It's all right. We're doing okay, right? We're doing okay. It's important to note that the Apostle Paul generally did not do ministry alone. We are much stronger together than any one of us as individuals or just all of us as individuals put together. If you are part of this church, and you are not serving in your church, in this church, let me tell you, we need your gifts. I don't know what they are. It doesn't matter what they are. I know that we need them. And in essence, you are ripping us off by not sharing your gifts with us. And there are so many people that are so gifted in so many different areas and I find myself, and we find ourselves as the staff of the church here, involved in areas we know we are not gifted in. We might even say, if we're honest, we are incompetent in. <laughs> but we are involved in them, waiting for the gifted 
to step up. And so he didn't do ministry alone. Yeah, someone said, what about Acts 17? We did a sermon on that. Yeah, he was in Athens. He seemed to be doing ministry alone while he was waiting for other people. So he was not like the kind of guy like, well, I got to wait for others to show up. No, he went out and did it. He was the leader of the team. Verse 11, he says, Tychicus, I've sent to Ephesus. It could be that Tychicus is the one carrying this letter. Or it could be that he's just sent there so Timothy would be comfortable that a good man, Tychicus, would be pastoring the church while Timothy was visiting Paul in prison. Don't worry, don't worry I've covered your church. I'm going to make sure it's okay. The people will be in good hands. Verse 11, he says, only Luke is with me. Luke was a doctor. This is how bad this guy's life was. He had to have a traveling doctor with him. (laughs) He was always having some problem. He was a caretaker of Paul. He He was a ministry partner. He could be the writer of this letter. We don't know. We do know that he wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. And interesting, their friendship must have been really interesting because like the Apostle Paul, and unlike most of the other apostles, both the Apostle Paul and Luke were both very well educated. And so they must have had some great discussions. I mean, I was with, last week I was with uh, two guys, my, my oldest son, who has a master's in computer science, talking to another guy who has his degree in computer science, and I, they were talking, for, I don't know, for a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour, I don't know how long it was, and I did really not understand a word they were saying. I was just, I was just enjoying watching them have this discussion. I understood what AI was, and cybersecurity, and chat CBT, or whatever they call it. See, I don't even know it, Right? I could understand a few of the things they were saying, but most of what they were talking about, I did not understand. You say, well, why would you stand there? I love the enthusiasm. And I said, oh, would that God's people would be this enthusiastic about Jesus as these guys are about computers. Yet the Apostle Paul, still ministering to the end, realizes he needs more help in Rome that there's much ministry still to be done in Rome until he dies. Now, let's go back to the second half of verse 11. If you don't, if you know the story, it's a good reminder. If you don't, this is a wonderful piece of encouragement for those of you who feel you have failed God. The second part of verse 11 is, it's a thing of beauty. It says this, get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for ministry or for service. Now, to some of you, you go, oh, big deal. All these guys are good. It's like they're all good for helping the Apostle Paul. Well, let's go back, far back in history. Early in Acts 13, Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. Barnabas was really the guy who helped Paul get raised up in ministry. His nickname is, his name means the son of encouragement. And so Mark was out in the mission field with Paul and Barnabas, and he deserted them. And in Acts chapter 15, two chapters later, he resurfaces a while later. 
Now, let's get this straight. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas were the dream team. They were the dudes. They were it. I mean, they were the guys who went out. They got sent out from the church at Antioch, and they were like, we got to send these guys out. And they went out to the world. Now, at first, Barnabas was the guy who knew what he was talking about. He taught the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul just rocketed right past him. Took a while, but it rocketed right past him. So they're out in the field. And then Barnabas says, my cousin Mark, let's have him with us. And when he comes back, after deserting them, sometimes he's known in the Bible as John Mark. He's actually believed to be the naked guy running away in the Gospel of Mark. They had a falling out over Mark. Eventually, Mark will write the Gospel of Mark. We believe that Peter took him under his wing, and basically Peter dictated the Gospel of Mark to him. Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love brings you the great hope of the gospel to equip you to reach others with this transforming message. In a world filled with fear and mistrust, Pastor Jim provides the path to freedom in a clear and transparent style. Changed by Love needs your help to reach thousands, including your friends and neighbors. Find out the ways you can team financially with Changed by Love by visiting our website at changedbyloveradio.org or call 862-217-9686. Pastor Jim would love to hear your story and how Changed by Love has impacted your life or someone you know. Your encouragement goes a long way. Thank you for spending time with Pastor Jim Kevney and Changed by Love.